0: Attention white supremacists, the internet just made your life a hell of a lot easier. Also, please don't listen to my show, I am very brown. Yes, this week on Download This Show, how a cheap money spinner for Z-grade celebrities was co-opted by, well, white supremacists. Also, which blogging service just deleted all of their porn and the weirdest self-driving car story that you will hear all year. Yes, this is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Finnell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is Download This Show and we are back again for another week and welcoming her into the studio. That's not good English, but let's imagine that it was the editor of Junkie, Queen of the Internet. Ray Johnson, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that. That's my new Twitter bio. Excellent. Uh, and Seamus Byrne, actually Seamus, you're innovation managing editor of Innovation Oz. Yep. I knew I'd get something right today. Well welcome bad. back to Download This Show. Good to be here. Hey yeah, uh, how much would you pay to get me to do a white supremacist sign on the internet?
1: I wouldn't pay to do that. you can't get you to do that at all, Mark, you, because I'm not a jerk. Is, Why would I do that?
0: the irony of having a half-Indian person do a white supremacist thing on the internet, does, does anyone satire? No? I mean, well, yeah, I was going to say it would be, be a good gag. <laughs> so it turns out there is a couple of weeks ago we actually talked about this service called Cameo. You can sign up and for varying amounts of money you can get varyingly famous people (laughs) to record you messages. So let's say, hypothetically, Great Aunt Flo is a big fan of Bradley Cooper, and if you wanted to, you could pay $3,000 to have Bradley Cooper go, hey, Annie Flo, happy birthday. None of that might be true, but that is the fundamental principle of how it works, right, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's an app. Essentially, you've got a whole bunch of celebrities that are, Look, probably one tier below, I'd say, than the ones that you see in the uh, convention circuit getting signatures.
0: It is a weird mixture of people, though, because
1: it's like there's Soldier Boy in there. Soldier Boy, Andy Dick, uh, these are the people that have been caught up in the latest controversy, but I was having a bit of a scroll through. Perez Hilton will record you a message for 25 bucks and get it to you within a couple of hours. And I find that incredible. Carson Cresley from the first (gasps) season of Queer Eye. 50 bucks in two hours. All things are not getting better for him. (laughs) And, like, I'm scrolling through this app and I'm noticing that most of the people that will do these things at short notice are all guys because they don't have to worry about how they look in the videos. They're not going to get slammed for it the same way that women would.
0: Yeah, so Snooki from Jersey Shore... Typically responds within four days.
1: Wow! Yes, yeah, uh, so that gives the, her that, plenty
0: of
2: time.
1: That yeah. takes work, right? It, does. That, yeah, that make it up. does. It takes a couple of hours to get to the standard that you won't get trashed on the internet or or just asked if you feel okay.
0: The Draco Malfoy. It's going to take him five
1: days. Five days. Five days. He's in demand.
0: So the reason we are talking about this is because. Uh,
2: What's happened, Seamus Byrne? So, uh, you know, with the basic premise that you can send someone a short script and they will read it out for you on their video, uh, we've had a situation where these uh, short scripts sent to at least uh, three... Uh, celebrities, uh, as uh, Ray mentioned, Soldier Boy, Andy Dick, and then uh, footballer Brett Favre, they have all basically read out scripts that were coded messages for a white supremacist, uh, anti Semitic group. Uh, and, like, it's not even just the. At first, when I read it, it was, you know, sort of a, oh, hey, here's a quick shout out. But then when you see the whole thing, like, there was quite a lengthy message that they've read out about these people being patriots and that, you know, they need to keep the fight going and all this really quite sort of crazy message that would certainly make these people really pleased that they, whether they just see it as a joke or not, they will feel like that was quite the little win.
0: So Brett Favre is the 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 lead example who's a former NFL quarterback, and he's given a message that goes, you guys are patriots in my eyes, so keep waking them up and don't let the small get you down. Now, what it turns out is the small is a reference, it's an anti-Semitic reference, it's a reference to small hats uh, worn by uh, Jewish men, and so I think one of the challenges here is like how can they sustain this business whilst also policing the elaborate array of encoded white supremacist messaging out there, right? Like, if you were Cameo, how would you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I think this is a case-by-case case basis situation. I, I think that this is going to rely on the community members on the on the wider internet, really, pointing these kinds of things out because Cameo did remove it really quickly and put out a very swift apology. Hmm. Uh, you know, It was in total breach of their terms of service. This is not what that was set up to do. But I just think that if you put yourself out there as being like a blank slate for hire yeah it's like being a model for stock images once you've kind of signed your rights away you don't really get a say in how that is used and you know once you've got these videos out there they could be edited you know we, we've seen all sorts of things happen with deep fakes with videos I just wouldn't Ever put myself in this kind of situation. Because
2: of course, with Cameo removing the video, clearly now those videos don't exist anywhere on the internet. <laughs> no, uh, that's how know. the internet
1: works. <laughs> yeah. Once you ask for something to be taken down, it's gone forever. It's very efficient in that's that That's sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think one of the
0: byproducts of this, that I was thinking about this, we accept speed and convenience as a given uh, in our, in our future sort of technological endeavours. Like the reason why we like Ubers and Airbnbs is because they're simple, they're convenient. And of course they're incredibly fast, but fast creates quality control problems that we haven't really begun to address properly. So what would you do if you were Cameo, if you were trying to put in a systematic solution, Seamus, if you were trying to maintain the speed, maintain the offering of what they were giving out to the world, but also at the same time going,
2: "Mm, this, this is a problem. I mean, I think I'd probably get rid of the speed thing, for one. You know, the idea of people coming back to you within a few hours clearly means there is no window of opportunity for someone to vet the script in any way, shape or form. Uh, And so they're kind of putting the onus on the celebrities who are signing up to the service, whereas they should be trying to... I mean, it feels like off the back of this, a lot of people would probably quit the service. Mm. Uh, In terms of talent? Yeah, in terms of talent, yeah. So I think... I think they should be now really trying to bolster the idea that, you know what, we will protect you uh, so that you know you are only sending, you know, birthday messages and happy, you know, la-la-la type messages. Uh, And, yeah the fact that their response was to say, we've added new filters so that this won't happen. It's like, once again, people falling on this idea that algorithms are going to save the day. And it's like, well, of course, every other coded message of every other weird group out there can still go through and then, oh, well, it's all right, we've added that to our list of filters. You know, it's like, come on, you need someone in that line of defence and that's where it might be that they say, you know, 48 hours is going to be the minimum now and we'll try, you know, if it's, you know, maybe there's a you know a new thing of saying if you're one of the celebrities who wants to tick this box to say, I want someone to double check what I'm what I'm saying.
1: I'd, it also just makes me wonder, doesn't Andy Dick have like an agent or a manager? Doesn't mm. like you know, Draco Malfoy have someone that vets the kind of work that they're doing? Maybe Is they this used just to. a weird or maybe they're
2: only for movies, you yeah. know, like weird things like that.
1: But
0: I mean yeah. I, I mean I, I take your point, but Agents and managers don't want to be dealing with stuff on the small scale, but yeah. if you can do this at scale, it's a it's an income source yeah. that do you know what I mean? Like these are, these are small projects mm. and you don't necessarily want to engage an agent to deal with that stuff all the time, right? To take right? their cut. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing, to take their cut. And, it, and and what a ridiculously small cut it would be. Um, agents make their money from large windfalls, essentially, and, and long-term careers. I could see the argument, right? This is an easy, simple way of making money and if you do... 20 of them back to back, that's a couple of thousand dollars and that's not nothing, right? I could yeah. s- i could see the argument and as far as I can tell Tom Felton, who played Draco Malfoy, he just swans around Southeast Asia with his guitar for a living these days. So maybe he's actually just not <laughs> yeah, that busy. good on you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love that life too.
1: Maybe he does just want to wish people a happy birthday. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, if I could get a couple of thousand dollars to do so,
1: I would do that. Would you list yourself on Cameo no. and list your price at a $1,000 and give yourself like a week's notice and what? see if anyone pays it?
0: Do you know what? No. (laughs) I was like, like, would I? (laughs) Nah. But I would like to put a price on how much uh, it would cost me to say something super racist, though, just to see what
1: happens. (laughs)
0: All right. Download this show. Is what you are listening to. My name is Mark Fennell. We are in studio with Seamus Byrne and Ray Johnson. Mark Fennell is my name. And as of December 17th, you cannot be finding the porn on Tumblr apparently. Now, Tumblr's had an interesting journey over the last couple of years. Of course, there was a a story about how accessible um, child exploitation material was on Tumblr a few weeks ago and they have reacted in quite a drastic way, Ray Johnson. So tell me the story of how Tumblr has arrived at removing all the porn from their platform.
1: Yeah, basically they've looked at a situation where, you know, child pornography was, I, I think it's fair to say, rife on the side. Mm. Uh, Apple responded by removing the Tumblr app from the App Store. There was a huge amount of backlash. So they've gone ahead and started flagging any kind of content that it sees as inappropriate. And it is, once again, like all of these companies do, using an algorithm in order to find it. Yeah. So the kinds of things that they're flagging right now, aren't necessarily pornographic. Now you've got things like artworks that just happen to be of women. Yeah. Fully clothed, being flagged as being pornography.
0: But also nudity doesn't also in and of itself necessarily translate to pornography. Absolutely. Has anyone been into an art gallery of late? You know what I mean? Like there's (laughs) there's some pretty big gaps in there. but. Even if you accept that, the alg- and, I, and I do definitely want to talk about all the different ways in which algorithmic ways of cleaning up a platform are problematic because we've seen that with Instagram. But yeah. let's just say this, right? Is it necessarily right to remove pornography? Like if you have a space on the internet where people can go consume erotic material consenting and share it and in a social context, is it an inherently bad thing? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I I think that it is an inherently bad thing to to get rid of it. I think Tumblr has been a bit of a haven for many people all around the world to you know find their sexuality, find communities that resonate with what you don't see in mainstream or mainstream porn for that Mm. matter. You know, when you look at pornography sites, they're not really very varied in the kind of content that they're producing and the kind of gaze that they're producing it for. Tumblr was a place where the queer community could gather and and find their people. Yeah. I, I think that this is a... This is definitely a blow for those kinds of places. And it's
0: also the other thing is it wasn't a dedicated porn space. No. And I think that's an important distinction where, you know, we've we've built a line in the sand in the internet where there's like dedicated porn websites and then there's dedicated, you know, the the, the mainstream web, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, where those things are banned. And surely there is value in spaces that bridge. Spaces that that can be what you build them to be, and I think some of the appeal of Tumblr has been that it, it built communities that were often quite niche that actually did sit in those boundaries, as you say, you know, aspects of the queer community, areas of erotica that sort of sit in that zone. And I I do think there's value in preserving some of that that dynamic. And it just seems like I don't know, James. It just seems like a very, really big, sudden move to deal with a problem that did need to be dealt with, no question. But it just seems like a really strangely full-on approach?
2: I feel like, you know, this can kind of be traced through that process of where, you know, Tumblr once once was this, you know, innovative startup website that created these spaces for people to build communities around kind of interesting ideas. You know, it was kind of just a micro blogging platform, really. Um, But then, you know, it sold to AOL. Uh, You know, that was, I think, the beginning of this (laughs) end sequence. Um, But it it did quite a a good job of sort of maintaining its integrity for a long time. Uh, You know, uh, AOL then became part of Yahoo. Yahoo then sold off the whole AOL sort of business, which is now called Oath, to Verizon. Mm. And this, I think, is that first big moment where the big new parent company has suddenly been hit by the idea that this thing that they own has a lot of very, very inappropriate material lurking around on it. And I think they've then taken the approach of saying, well, let's just get rid of all of the things that have anything to do with anything slightly inappropriate because we just don't want to have to deal with it.
1: Including hashtag lesbian.
2: Seriously? Yeah,
1: seriously. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. Exactly. This is this is the bigger problem here. This is going to impact on people in really negative ways. Like th- this isn't just about your your weird Snape fan fiction that you're not going to be able to access now. Which or, I'm, also, you know, I'm
0: also very sad about.
1: But. Yeah, <laughs> well, as as you should be. You know, th- this is this is going to be about you know people continuing to feel othered and ostracized and not like a normal part of society.
0: This isn't the first time that a sort of a more wild west corner of the web has been bought by a major company. I, I guess I'm thinking of Reddit. Reddit is now part of, or at least, oh God, I think it's still part of Condé Nast, the big publishing company. And Reddit went through a bit of a um, a transition period where it was a, a hive of scum and villainy. They went through a cleaning up process. Are there ways in which we can let niche spaces, um, spaces that exist in... Uh, the grey areas survive when they're still owned by big publicly traded corporations. Is there any test case out there that we can look to as like that is a great example where they've been able to keep niche communities and and keep the flavor of that community while still being traded
2: on Wall Street? I mean, I do feel like Reddit is still a pretty good example in that. Yeah, like they've had they've had negative responses from the communities that live there while really trying to walk that line of maintaining. The ability for people to run, you know, all kinds of communities there, um, you know, in ways that skirt those kind of boundaries. but, But let, you know, let ideas flourish within that environment in certain ways. One of the things that they've done is, you know, again, sort of Apple can be very strict about what apps are allowed to do. Basically, the Reddit version, Reddit apps... Uh, don't let you get to all the kind of weirder parts of Reddit or anything that is considered <laughs> inappropriate by Apple. It's just not available through the app, but then you go to the web version and all of that is still there. Whereas, oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, very It's like, you know, Tumblr is kind of in that space where they've said, well, Apple's kicked us off, therefore, like, let's get rid of everything so we can get back on Apple instead of finding that middle road. And it feels like they were on that path, right? Because. You know, when the story
0: about the child exploitation material came out, I mean, everybody said this is something that they need to deal with and it needs addressing. It is also a difficult thing to deal with given the speed at which things can be re-blocked on Tumblr. But in August, they announced, you know, new community guidelines uh, banning revenge porn, hate speech, posts that glorified school shootings. Like, they were on the right pathway. Yeah. You know, we often talk about how algorithms can't solve all problems, but is there some is there an example we can point to where a combination of algorithm and human interaction and, and maybe just changing the culture of an online community has managed to correct those those environments?
1: Oh, gosh, that's really difficult actually. I'm, I'm trying really hard to think of where that's worked and I can't point to anywhere where it has, unfortunately. Well, I wish I could. I, honestly, I think that the solution to all, all of this always is to have an element of humanity in there. Only people can look at things and go, all right, <laughs> this is a problem. Mm. You know, once once we start relying on algorithms, they're going to pick up all sorts of things that are completely irrelevant to what they're after. I mean, I think there might
2: be something to said f- for the way in which that Facebook does it. As much as they do it, you know, they don't do a great job, they do have you know a flagging system and they have teams of humans around the world who you know do that horrible job of trying to say yes no yeah. now where they draw that line of yes no is clearly one of the big issues around how people think facebook is dealing with those mm. problems but they're doing it at a scale that nobody else has ever had to you know do this kind of thing if you applied a very similar process to what facebook has done to something that isn't a you know 2 billion people scale but instead to a you know 100 million user type scale There's probably quite a good way that you can, again, write those rules and create that algorithmic flagging system that then actually has a human say, yes, no, yes, no.
1: Because the criticisms of Facebook is that there's not enough people involved doing that and they don't look after the people that are doing that. that's a really good one. So if, if you do take that but improve on it, everything needs improving on this is yeah, the problem and, no one's nailed it and,
0: and I think that it's a failure of my question because I asked you has it worked anywhere and maybe the question is not about has it worked because communities never are fixed right yeah. They, yeah. they are growing changing organisms I guess what might have been smarter for me to ask is examples of where communities have been have been reorientated and move themselves to a healthier place and yeah like there's no question that on this show we we professionally bash Facebook <laughs> <do> we, <right? laughs> yeah. and I mean it in the most loving way possible but For all of the things that they have, the multitudinous things at which Facebook have gotten wrong, I think if you look at the wide array of online communities out there, you'd have to argue that for better, for worse, they've probably been the most on the front foot about trying to fix their communities.
1: Yeah. Maybe a little bit
0: later than they should have in some (laughs) cases. Yeah, and
1: and I think that you could argue that that's in response to being possibly the most scrutinised. Yeah. You know, like Twitter is up there but nowhere near in the same capacity or level yeah. that, that Facebook is. So they do have to respond to this. There is a lot of users and a lot of backlash. I mean, it's like it? this,
0: I reckon Google's really grateful that Google Plus didn't take off because
1: <laughs> oh. then they'd have had
2: to have dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, you know, Tumblr, maybe if there'd been more of this chipping away at the question that thrown at them more often are you doing enough? What are you doing about these kinds of things? Then they might have slowly built the processes, whereas instead it's just, you know, the absolute sort of, you know, sledgehammer approach in the end.
1: They've done the thing that all of these places do, which is a simple solution for a complex problem. It doesn't exist.
0: One of the statements that came out of Tumblr's leadership is uh, in response to the loss of consenting adult content, let's go call it that, is that they've basically said that there's no shortage of sites on the internet that feature adult content. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a line in the sand, yes, there's plenty of places that do porn on the internet. But what was special, I think, for, about Tumblr for lots of people is that it exists in a space where you could express your sexuality in ways that bridged between normal everyday communication and sort of social media expression and erotica and pornography. There was a, There's a zone there. And to, to his point, are there other places that replicate that? So we know there's other places that do porn. We get that. And there's mainstream on the internet. But are there other places that legitimately replicate that Limbo Land? If the they internet? exist,
1: I want to know about them. We all have to go it's,
0: to LO. <laughs> it's a, oh no.
1: Because it is a really interesting place like it was a place where people would write you know crappy poems and share their art and their right, fan screw you, mate! my poems are and- <laughs> great
2: his live journal maybe yeah maybe yeah. there's still some good action going on over there they I'm all seem sure. to
1: still be in the past though like the, mm, the yeah. idea of a space that just collaborates all of your different interests and ideas and throws sexuality in the mix there as part of everyday normal life as opposed to something that needs to be you know, relegated to a hidden dark corner of the internet that we should all be ashamed of. I mean,
2: you know, you can tie it together with the whole question of money as well, right? Because in the end, this ties back into this, you know, New idea of the trust economy. You know, the fact that YouTube, you know, programmatic advertising, all the advertisers started to go, wait, my ads are appearing against what kind of content? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That meant the money starts to dry up if there's any kind of questionable content. And again, questionable, I'm using that in the incredibly mainstream sense of that kind of and it advertiser means term. Different things to different people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I find and that
1: so wild, though, because the most heavily consumed content on the internet is porn. The amount yeah. of hits that you'd get <laughs> on your ad are incredible. Advertisers should be all over
0: Download this show. is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, culture and technology. Seamus Byrne is in the studio here with Ray Johnson. Mark Fennell is my name. And uh, if I was to fall asleep in a Tesla, Ray Johnson, let's say I was hammered as a hypothetical, would the car under autopilot keep on driving? Because there's a story out of the San Francisco Chronicle this week that suggests that maybe it would.
1: So, the way the autopilot in a Tesla works mm. is it will, or the way the emergency kind of function part of autopilot works. If it can't detect your hands being on the wheel, there will be a series of warnings to be like, hey, what you doing? Buddy. Hey, buddy. Put, wake up. Wake put, up. Put your hands on the wheel. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? If there's no response to those warnings, if it still can't detect your hands, if you're not turning the warnings off, the car's supposed to start slowing down on its own, come to a complete stop and put the hazard lights on. That's meant to happen within a couple of minutes. This case out of, and I'm really upset that this wasn't Florida, so we can't say it was Florida Man that did this. <laughs>
0: uh, we should say, if you've never followed the Twitter account, Florida Man is the best Twitter account because there are so many stories about weird things that men in Florida do. If you've never followed it, just stop this <laughs> follow it
1: now. Carry on. So this was a California man who was asleep at the wheel, drunk, c- completely plastered, totally passed out, drove for over 11 kilometres, for seven minutes while the cops were trying to get him to pull over. They think it's autopilot. He won't comment. Elon Musk is tweeting vaguely.
2: <laughs> it's like it, it feels like we're like two thirds of Twitter at the Christmas. I mean, Hall. It's, it's a step down. Elon Musk usually tweets emphatically, so yeah. you know it is a slight change of pace for him. So His lawyer said, "But I mean, we can't stop you from
0: tweeting, but maybe just tweet more vaguely." So when, when, you, when you say he's tweeting vaguely, like what? What sort of tweets are we talking about?
1: He's kind of saying, "Well, this isn't what's supposed to happen, so we'll look into that." It's kind of the politician's response that's happening right yeah. now, and you know, to be fair this is a rare instance I'm going to defend Elon, he probably doesn't really know what's going on here either because this is not a usual case.
0: Yeah, and what you described sounds like very pleasant and calm. It's worth pointing out that this car was doing 113 kilometres an hour (laughs) in a highway in California. Like it was not the fact that basically Robot Car was doing 113 kilos, uh, not kilos, (laughs) (laughs) kilometres, the fact that this was doing that without potentially somebody behind the wheels and obviously the facts
2: are mm. still emerging at this stage a little bit terrifying yeah just a little bit i mean th- there is part of it which is also i think the positive miracle of autopilot right it was using lane guidance to you know stay in its lane when the police you know they're basically dr- driving alongside trying to work out what's going on they then work out this guy seems to be asleep um you know one car apparently started doing S's you know, on the freeway behind it to try to slow down traffic to make sure that no one caught up to the car. But then another police car basically drove in front of it and then slowly started slowing down. And again, the autopilot system then knows to respond to the fact that there's a car in front and oh. I will now start to slow down you know, as as there is a car in front. And so it was able to slow it to a stop because it was responding to the fact there was traffic in front of it. So, you know, it wasn't like they had to shoot out the tyres or something <laughs> kind of weird like that. Um, the police worked out this is this is going to work because it's on auto, autopilot.
0: You know, we hear lots of stories and they're, they're important stories that are worth telling about police brutality that happens around the world. And, and of course, in the last couple of years in America it's been, you know, quite a big emerging story. I will say props to the California Highway Patrol for arriving at a really very clever non-violence solution to this problem I mean you know credit where it's due yeah um that is an amazing bit of like forethought that went into it and I wonder like did they call up Tesla and go so we've got this Tesla (laughs) it's driving (laughs) seems weird what do we do I I really want to know how that conversation went down what what sort of effect do you think stories like this have on the future of driverless technology because we are we starting to see more coverage that's a little bit and maybe legitimately more alarmist, maybe?
1: Look, I think I think what we're going to see eventually is the opposite. As the technology improves, as all the issues are ironed out, like this is an emerging technology that is currently being tested on the roads. Mm. We're gonna see massive problems. You look back to the first days of the aviation industry, you know, there were a lot of crashes. The difference between what what has happened in the aviation industry and what is currently happening in you know, vehicle automation. collaboration. Aviation were required to share findings from all of these experiments in the air while they were putting lives at risk. The automotive industry at the moment is competing with each other. They've all got different programs running in different kinds of cars. They're not sharing that data and those learnings with each other. So it will take longer yeah. for this to be a safer option for people.
0: I, I did not know that about the early days of the aviation industry. Yeah. I just assumed it was like the space race and everybody just competed and no, died.
1: No, it, w- <laughs> it was actually required. There was an overarching body to ensure that there was safety. We need an overarching body to ensure that there's safety in automa- automated vehicles. Vehicles as well. That's Inst- that's the bottom line of all of this.
0: Instead, they all just sue each other for
2: talent. You uh, know, they from- sue each <laughs> other yeah. for yeah. stealing Tesla, IP. Apple, like, yeah. yeah, it's just like
1: it's like work yeah. together. This is human lives at stake. I mean,
2: yeah. The other flip side to this is, if this drunk driver had gotten in any traditional car and driven down the freeway, he would have probably killed himself and or another person on the road at three thirty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, this so This is a
1: positive story. It, it is. seems. Wild.
2: I mean, idiots are still going to idiot. And this is a case of an idiot actually having his life saved by, you know, his car not ending up bouncing off a wall. Again, you know, a few steps down the track, we'll get to that point where you could potentially get in your car and have it take you home, not just hoon down the freeway randomly, but actually go, yeah, and now we take turn off 16 and we drive. To your house and now you can sleep in the car until you wake up, whenever that might be.
1: (laughs) And here, have some Barocca. (laughs) (laughs) Do
2: you know what I just realised? It
0: has taken us this entire year to end an episode of Download This Show on a positive technology note. Yay, technology! We got there in the end, people. Yes, because I I may not have mentioned this earlier, but this is the final episode of Download This Show for 2018. It's coming back in 2019. Uh, We are taking a break over summer. huge thank you to Ray Johnson and Seamus Byrne. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you. thank you. And also a massive thank you to all of the guests that come back on the show week after week. I think you'll agree that they are pretty much the lifeblood of this show because it certainly ain't me, that's for sure. And, of course, thank you to you for listening to the show week after week and sending in your ideas. We really appreciate them, and I'm really looking forward to doing a whole new year of whatever weird shit that Mark Zuckerberg's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you in 2019. My name's Mark Vanell and this has been Download This Show for 2018.